Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Uh, good Friday is a kind of a, uh, a, it's a, a day that you don't really know what to do with as far as how I should be responding to this emotionally. Uh, we get all excited about Resurrection Sunday, but what do we do with Good Friday? It's kind of, should I feel sad? I know the end of the story, so there's part of me that's not too sad because Sunday is coming. But, but I, I want to encourage you today that it is because of the cross that we actually get the privilege of even gathering as we do today. And I, I, I want to encourage you because we do often sense a huge chasm between us and God between the frailty and the sinful nature of humanity and the character of a perfect holy God. There is this huge chasm. And it's really easy for us to slip into a mentality that says, the chasm's too great. I'm too insignificant. Uh, you know, uh, and we struggle with issues of self-esteem and self-worth and value. And when we reflect from that position on who God is, it just kind of widens the chasm. And for you this morning, I want you to know that you are so loved of God. How do we know that God loves us? If God is real, how do I actually know that God cares about me? How, how do I know that God is interested in me? How do I know that I'm even on God's radar? God's God? Uh, I'm nobody. I'm just one person amongst billions upon billions. And when we think about the greatness of God and the smallness of us, they are really, really understandable questions. So does God care about us? Does God actually care about people? Reading from Isaiah 63 and 7, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things He has done for the house of Israel, according to His compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their saviour. In all their distress, he too was distressed. Get a hold of that one. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. That is a remarkable passage. Friends, you've got to know that if you go through times of distress, you do have God's attention. In your distress, God is distressed. Another encounter when God spoke to Moses, you may be familiar or have heard about the burning bush. 
this encounter with God where Moses hears the audible voice of God. Exodus 3 and 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. And you've got to know God is concerned. God hears, God sees, God knows. And His heart is broken for the things that we suffer. Jesus' words in Matthew 10 and 29, You can buy two sparrows for only a copper coin, yet not even one sparrow falls from its nest without the knowledge of your Father. Aren't you worth much more to God than many sparrows? So don't worry. For your Father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. This needs to shift our perspective this morning, friends. A perspective that forces God to the periphery, maybe acknowledge the, acknowledges the bigness and the greatness and the holiness of God, but there's a disconnect in our, in our understanding, in our minds, in our hearts that says, well, God, you're on your throne on the outskirts of the universe somewhere looking at humanity racing crazily about. How can you know? God's Word tells us He does know, He does care, for your Father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. And you've got to receive that as a truth from your Heavenly Father this morning. Over and over and over, the Bible tells us that God loves us, that God cares for us. And this Good Friday, the greatest proof that we have that God loves us and that God identifies with our sufferings is actually the life of Jesus himself. Jesus, fully God, but born into this world, totally constrained to the human condition. He lived a very real, very human life. And as he lived his life on the earth as a human, there's this tension that we have to live with that he was never less than God, but he was never more than a man. While he was human, he did not exercise his deity. He constrained himself to be fully human. So he was born as a man into incredibly humble circumstances. He wasn't born in a palace. And he experienced firsthand the pain of being rejected, the pain of being betrayed, the pain of being humiliated, the pain of being abandoned, the pain of being wrongly accused. And then the physical agony of being beaten and tortured and then left nailed as an innocent man on a cross, an instrument of the most unbearable torture. And hanging there on the cross, he was God's sacrifice, God's chosen sacrifice for our sins. 
for all of the things that create that sense of chasm between us and God, the things that make us feel unworthy of God. Our sin nature, our, uh, you know, our failures, our struggles, our past, the, the, the messes that we sometimes find ourselves in. Jesus died for all of those things. And on the cross, Jesus experienced more pain than I trust you and I will ever, ever face in our lifetime. So we've got to shift our perspective from, God, you don't know what's going on in my life, to, wow, God, you have experienced fully the pain of being human and then some. And I want us to learn four really quick lessons. We're going to be long this morning. Four quick lessons about the nature of Jesus' suffering. And I hope they encourage us today. First one is this. Suffering and love are not incompatible. And a lot of people struggle to reconcile the Easter narrative with a God of love. How could a God of love send his innocent son to a criminal's cross? It doesn't make sense. But we've got to know that suffering and love are not incompatible. In fact, the suffering of Jesus is actually the ultimate expression of love. And it messes with my head, maybe it messes with your head, but when you look at the cross, we discover that love and suffering often go together. In fact, the more we love, the more likely we are to suffer. Think about that. Kerry and I got five kids and one grandchild. There's one thing that you learn about having children, about yourself. You learn a lot about, number one, the nature of love, but then number two, you learn a heck of a lot about your own capacity to love. And when you have your first child, you discover a capacity to love like you never had before. And you think, I, I never knew that I could love somebody as much as I love this child. And if we have a second child, there's absolutely no way in the world I could ever love another child the way that I love this child. And then the second child comes along and suddenly your capacity enlarges again. You go, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had that capacity to love. And then you have another child and then you have another child and then you have another child and then you have, child, then you have a grandchild. But there's one thing that you quickly learn about parenting or being a parent through the passage of time the more you love the more you're going to suffer in fact it is because you love that you suffer because when someone that you love suffers the nature of your love means that you actually carry that pain you carry that burden you suffer with them and I don't want to put anybody off having kids today. But the reality is, the more children you have, the more suffering you will experience in your life. See you later. It's been great having you here today. <laughs> more kids you have, the more you're going to suffer, not because your children are rat bags. It's just the nature of love. Because you love them, 
you care about what happens to them. When they suffer, you suffer. Now of God, the Bible says in John 3 and 16, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave His one and only unique Son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in Him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. And when it says God gave His Son Jesus as a gift, everything about that gift involved pain and suffering. But that pain and suffering was an expression of how much God loves us. For God so loved the world that he suffered. 1 John 4 and 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And here's what should encourage us today. That when we suffer, we now know God cares. That when we go through seasons of pain, we have the confidence to know that God knows exactly what it is to go through that season of pain. He knows what the greatest pain feels like. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, wrote this in Isaiah 53 and 3. He was despised and rejected, speaking of Jesus, by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Second thing that it's important for us to understand today, as we look at this suffering of Jesus and the nature of that suffering, you've got to know suffering is not necessarily a punishment for sin. We live in a broken world. And sometimes if something goes wrong, we are tempted to say or to think, and I've done something wrong. God must be punishing me because of what I'm going through right now. Or worse still, and I've heard this one way too often, when people have observed the suffering of others, they say, well, man, they must have done something really, really bad that God would be punishing them like this. And as we look at the suffering, at suffering in the context of the cross, we've got to understand, understand suffering is <coughs> excuse me, suffering is not necessarily a punishment for sin. Jesus had nothing to go to the cross about. He lived a sinless life. He was perfect in character. So he didn't go to the cross as a punishment for his sins. He went to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, there are times where our sins, and I'll reframe that as sometimes our stupidity, can cause suffering, poor decisions, repeated mistakes, can cause suffering to us, can cause suffering to others. And there's no question that we carry the very real physical consequences of poor judgment, and bad, uh, bad decisions and mistakes. But we should, never judge, we should never jump to the automatic conclusion that suffering equals punishment. Sometimes we're just suffering because we live in a world that the Bible tells us is totally messed up because of sin. Paul writes about that, Romans 8 and 18. Yet what we are suffering now is nothing compared to the glory He will give us later. For all creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for that future day when God will resurrect his children. Down to verse 22, he says, For we know that even the things of nature, 
like animals and plants, suffer in sickness and death as they await this great event. And even we Christians, Paul says, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as His children, including the new bodies He has promised us, bodies that will never be sick again and will never die. Amen. We look forward to that day, friends. Until that day, the whole world groans under the weight of sin and the consequences of sin is death. And this is the amazing thing about the suffering of Jesus. God's perfect son went to the cross, took the punishment for your sins and my sins. And we've got to know that the worst thing that can happen to us in this life is not that we suffer. The worst thing that can happen in this life is that we end up living a life separated from God by our sin, never realizing that Jesus himself came into this world to bring about right standing with God, to reunite us to God, to declare us righteous in the presence of God. And again, it's not suffering that we should fear. It is the consequences of sin. And again, remembering suffering is not necessarily a punishment for our sins. Third lesson, our suffering actually can be redeemed to become a source of comfort to others. And we did a whole message on this a little while ago. So to recap recap on that briefly, you've got to know, you can be going through the greatest season of suffering in your life. God never wastes those seasons. God never wastes an opportunity. Even seasons of pain are an opportunity for God. And we see in Jesus that his very suffering on the cross brought about the greatest gift that is the salvation of all humanity. And our personal suffering is never wasted. Paul's perspective in 2 Corinthians 1 Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed... It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. And the lessons that we learn as we navigate seasons of pain and suffering can become invaluable lessons not just for our wisdom but for the benefit of others who follow along behind us who we see going through a period of suffering or trial or hardship and we draw alongside in genuine empathy going I've been where you've been and we've got story after story after story like that in this church of people having gone through the most horrendous seasons of life And God has wonderfully, wonderfully redeemed that. And now they are a source of hope 
and comfort and courage and healing for others. They bring the hope that they discovered in Jesus on their worst day. And they turn, turn that around and offer that same hope to others. And then the final lesson, and the team can come back. Jesus gives a great example to us of how we should respond to suffering. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he speaks on only a few occasions. And he is speaking on these occasions through extreme agony, through great suffering, recognizing that he had been abandoned, spiritually separated from his heavenly father. I mean, this was the darkest moment in Jesus' life. But as he hung upon the cross, listen to his first words, Luke 23 and 34. Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How remarkable is that? An innocent man. The worst moment of his life. Father, please forgive them. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our own pain and bitterness that we get angry at the world, we get angry at God, we get angry at the church, we get angry at somebody else or something else. But Jesus models a totally different attitude. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Second time he spoke, it was to the thief next to him on the cross who upon his profession of faith said to him in Luke 23 and 43, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the great temptations in a time of suffering is to become totally self-absorbed. Get totally caught up in ourselves, totally caught up in the problems we're experiencing that we fail to look beyond ourselves to realize there's still greater needs than me in this world around us. And here is Jesus on the cross still delivering words of comfort, hope and promise to those around Him. Friends, no matter what we're going through, we must never, ever, ever become insensitive to other people around us and to their struggles. Even in His darkest moment, Jesus never made it about Himself. He continued to make it about others. And friends, we could go on and on and on about the suffering of Jesus and the lessons that we draw from that we could never exhaust. But I think, though, that one of the greatest sources of strength that Jesus found as a man hanging on that cross, the greatest hope that saw him obediently endure the most incredible suffering was that Jesus lived his whole life from the perspective of eternity. Final thing that Jesus said, final words on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That is an eternal perspective right there. My body is done, but Father, my spirit belongs to you. Friends, as we close, you've you got to know, no matter, what, no matter what you might be facing in life, no matter what you're going through, one day those sufferings will be over. That is an absolute promise. They're not forever. The, 
the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8 and 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Paul sees the big picture. But there are sufferings that we will have to endure throughout this life because they are a part of life. But those sufferings will always be intensified. They will always be resented. They will be, always be a source of bitterness and anger if all we're doing is just hanging on to this life so tightly because it's all we think there is. And we have nothing but what Paul calls a temporal perspective. We need to look beyond ourselves, look to our Heavenly Father and recognise that even through the pain of life, there is a beautiful eternity awaiting. So to finish where we started, John 3 and 16, this is how much God loved the world. He gave His one and only unique Son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in Him will never perish but experience everlasting life. Friends, if you're here this morning and you do not know a relationship with Jesus, then maybe all of this seems a bit like nonsense. Maybe you've never experienced the comfort and the strength that comes from knowing you're not alone. God is with you. God is beside you. And this morning, if you are willing, you can discover that hope for yourself. Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this morning with a simple confession of your mouth, with a simple calling upon the Lord, you can leave here with a, a renewed eternal perspective. You can leave here knowing, knowing that God loves you, that He cares for you and that eternity is secure for you. That you would know Jesus as your Saviour and Lord. That this morning you can leave here knowing that His death on the cross wasn't for somebody else. But this morning I realise it's for me. That whatever your circumstance, whatever your struggle, that you would know that you know that you know that God is with you. That God loves you. That God knows that God cares.